Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Here Comes the Thought podcast, a podcast about Steven Universe and psychology and everything in between. I'm Gian Ramos, and I'm with Cat LaForgia and Mark Quides. And today we're going to talk about uh, episodes. Is it four through three to six? Three to six. Episode three to six, which are Cheeseburger Backpack, Together Breakfast, Frybo, and Cat Fingers. So, how has everyone been? Been a long week. Really? Really? Are we asking this? You guys know how my week has been. <laughs> yeah. It's been, it's been a, a, a strange week for all of us. Well, I'm ready for a vacation with my cheeseburger backpack. No, seriously, do you have a cheeseburger backpack? No, I really wish I did. Okay. I thought you were cool. <laughs> I wish. I lie. I'm a, I'm a fraud. Okay, so let's start with Cheeseburger Backpack. So what happened in Cheeseburger Backpack? So first you have Steven receives a Cheeseburger Backpack from the mail. And this episode is pretty much about him trying to sort of feed in with it, Crystal Gems, go out on a mission and sort of maneuver himself around the mission while using his new Cheeseburger Backpack. Right? Yeah. I, I kind of, I mean, I like the the whole metaphor with uh, the cheeseburger backpack and his, his uh, I, I'm kind of useless, but I'm going to prove I'm not useless by having this backpack full of handy dandy uh, supplies. Oh yeah, totally. And it definitely shows his more childish nature. Um, like Gian was saying, um, when we were talking, you know, off the air here, how um, Stephen uh, his childlike behavior kind of exempt like it's kind of shown when he's stuffing up the backpack um because you know when he gets a hold of mr queasy he chooses to throw out the first aid kit and puts mr queasy in the backpack yeah so he's starting to sort of pack his backpack and he switches out a med kit for mr queasy specifically and it does kind of show that sort of his reasoning as in what's more important first aid or this doll that I shake and he tells me not to shake me. And so, yeah, so he picks the Mr. Queasy and he puts it in the bag. And what's the gems sort of attitude towards this whole adventure that they're going to partake in? Well, with Pearl, she's very like apprehensive and cautious because she feels like Steven is too young and, that he needs to have constant supervision to make sure that he's safe, that he doesn't get hurt. Amethyst is kind of like, eh, well, he's got to learn sometime. Might as well start coming with us now. And Garnet's just Garnet. She's just kind of like, yeah, well, it's up to him. It's, a, it's whatever he wants to do sort of thing. She doesn't really say much or have a lot to really say in terms of whether or not Steven should tag along. So, yeah, I, I I was just thinking to myself, wait, did Garnet actually say anything about Steven tagging along for this adventure? Yeah, no, I don't think she really said anything. She just kind of was in the background and silent. But I mean, she didn't like openly disapprove. So I mean, I'm going to go on a limb and say that she was okay with it. In fact, she was probably agreeing with Amethyst in that he's got to learn. So he might as well learn by coming with us on this one mission. And they even give him a job of carrying on to the the statue that they need to put at the top of the spire. And so that's, that's, I think the, the argument that convinces Pearl, 
which seems to be sort of the most uh, overprotective of Steven. But she does agree that they're going to go out into the spire as an educational activity. And uh, so they go out and what happens first? Wait, I want to argue something though. Yeah. Because the crystal gems, do they really need a first aid kit? Honestly. They don't, but Steven could need it. And do they know how to do first aid? I mean, a first aid kit is pretty much like <laughs> uh, alcohol and, and Band-Aids, right? I mean, Stephen is 13 years old. He should know how to dress a simple wound. Okay. No, he's 12 in this one. Yeah, he's 12. Right, right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, he's he's still only 12 years old. So that's that's a big thing. He's not he doesn't really know what he's doing. Yeah. So th- they get they get to the spire. They go in, they get to the spire and they start what is it? They they start trying to figure out how to get through everything. Everything is kind of breaking down, falling apart. So now they just have to try to figure out how to get past everything. Um which I kind of like the fact that it's a uh sort of sort of a puzzle, sorry. I'm just losing it today. Um, so they have a puzzle that they kind of have to figure out all together. Yeah. And the fact that they're, I guess, willing to listen to Steven's suggestions during this is a big thing. I like the fact that you kind of reminded us that crystal shrimp are delicious because I didn't think about yeah. that. <laughs> they are delicious. It's crystal shrimp dumplings specifically. I, I will have to try that. I will take your your um, suggestion. I will try crystal shrimp dumplings. And so, um, so Stephen, the, the first issue they, they encounter with the sort of dilapidated tower is they have to get through a sort of waterfall, right? And so they're having trouble with that. And Stephen takes a shirt out of, or is it a jacket? I think it was it's a hoodie. It looked like it's a hoodie. hoodie. Yeah. So he takes a hoodie out of his backpack and he uses it as a sort of sling to sort of swing his way into the tower, right? He Indiana Jones that so well. Yeah, exactly. And so Pearl's reaction to it is like, oh, you did well, but don't ever do it again because that was dangerous. And yeah, then there we have sort of Pearl in that sort of protective uh role that she she has as one of steven's uh surrogate mothers right Mm -hmm. then we have the crystal shrimp part where he sort of throws fruit at them and it's bagels bagels specifically specifically bagels yeah bagel sandwiches oh yeah that's right they're bagel sandwiches sorry yes bagel sandwiches (laughs) specifically which I'm guessing crystal shrimp love. And uh, so they disperse. And that's an, uh, while Pearl was thinking of a, a more sort of tactical way of solving the problem, which admittedly was very uh, over. It was pretty complicated, right? Mm-hmm. And so on the third attempt, they, there was a, a rapids, like a river, crossing through and they didn't know what to do to sort of get through it. But this time the crystal gems, they're surprisingly very supportive of Steven, right? Mm-hmm. 
And they're sort of cheering him on saying, cheeseburger backpack in a chant. Uh, And he takes out his raft, throws it in, and it falls off, right? Yeah, because it's a waterfall, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this goes into what Mark was saying earlier about his sort of childish thinking and sort of his decision-making capacity, right? Okay. Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, like um, like I was saying earlier, just to kind of of quickly jump in here, um, is that basically throughout this entire sh- like um trek through the spire um steven's sort of been kind of thinking on the fly he's not really thinking about oh could this is this dangerous could this work could this not work he's just kind of like hey i have an idea let's just do it so that's why like it just so happens that the past two things that he's tried doing happen to work and this is where it kind of shows that like okay some t- like yes, it's okay to think on the fly at times. It's okay to sometimes be a little spontaneous, but there comes a time when you really have to start thinking and consider your, what are your options, what's going to be the best possible solution to get over what you're trying to get over. Well, and what I think is the first two choices of solutions that he comes up with, comes up with was the hoodies, because um, I think it was more than one, and the and the bagels. Uh, and and if you think about little kids, they are so trained to always bring a sweater with them from their child, from like their parents or grandparents. You should always have a sweater. You know, if it gets cold, you need a sweater. Da 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 da. So it's a very childlike packing ability that he has there. I'm gonna bring my favorite sweater, and I'm gonna bring my favorite snack um, so that I can have it on this adventure. So those those solutions are very, very childlike. The third one, that raft, is him kind of like almost so envisioning himself sort of growing up. That's a very adult thing to pack. I don't know what this adventure may, may, uh, may take me down, but here's a raft because rafts are always useful. It's like if you play D&D, for some strange reason, somebody always grabs rope, even though they never take the skill on how to use ropes. Um, but yes, yeah. they always, they always pack rope. Yeah, that that's a pretty good insight. But of course the raft goes off the waterfall, which shows that sometimes even adults make mistakes in their decision-making and Garnet being the ever ferocious, completely strong woman that she is, um, kicks down like a, some type of crystal beam, some rock and she makes yeah, a bridge for them. Pillar. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like Amethyst says, it's sort of like you can't always be a winner. Like, yeah, okay, you might have a good idea here and there, but you have to. But it's okay if you have an idea and it doesn't work out. Like, not every idea you have has to be the idea or a good idea. Sometimes we have bad ideas. Sometimes we have an idea, but it just doesn't work out with the situation that you're in. If every pork chop was perfect, we wouldn't have hot dogs. Exactly. <laughs> I think we just activated a rose cannon somewhere. <laughs> Maybe. Sorry. So, all right. So they get over the bridge. Um, and now they're at the point where they um, have to put the statue on the top of the, the thing, right? Mm-hmm. So we go through Cheeseburger Backpack. His Cheeseburger Backpack has all the answers. And he was told to carry the statue anyway. And he forgot the statue. So he decides he... 
had Mr. Queasy and a very, and, and again, I'm going to say this again, very Indiana Jones type move. He places Mr. Queasy on top to kind of offset the whole needing of the statue. And for like a brief second, we think it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> brief second, very brief second. And it doesn't. And we lose the, it's called the, Lun- it's the Lunar Temple. Is that what it is? Lunar, lunar Tower? Spire. The lunar spire. lunar spire. That's it. So yeah. we lose we lose the Lunar Spire because at that point uh at that point the it's just it can't do anything because it doesn't have the statue to rebuild it. So they all kind of um everything floods and everything crumbles down and they're gonna die. They're about to die, aren't they? And most most importantly, we lose Mr. Queasy, <laughs> which I think I swear horrible. to God, if I find a Mr. Queasy, I'm sending it to you. I would love a Mr. Queasy. Mr. Queasy, I, I wanted Mr. Queasy to be a recurrent sort of thing in the series. But he can't be. He died in the Lunar Spire. I know. That's why. That's why. <laughs> so, so a note to everyone out there. Uh, if, you ever, if you're into the toy making business or if you want to make a Mr. Queasy, uh, feel free to do so. Um, we will gladly buy it. And we will yeah. post it everywhere. Shut up and take my money. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, but the raft pops up, right? And everybody is saved. Which goes to show at least the raft worked out. Yes. Anyways. So oh, what I think was super important here that sort of I want to bring to the discussion is sort of that dialogue that they have right after the spire breaks down. And Stephen says, this is all my fault. I broke it. And Pearl says, no, Stephen, the spire was falling apart when we got here. You handled everything well under pressure. You did great. And Amethyst adds that two out of four of his ideas worked. So that's 50%. And that's all right. They can't all be winners. And this is sort of going back to what Garnet said earlier, that, you know, not every idea is going to work. However, this sort of mission was supposed to be an educational experience for Stephen, mm-hmm. right? And so he had a job. He had a sort of mission. And that job was to bring the statue, to sort of carry the statue. That was his main objective. And he really helped out sort of getting to the top of the spire, but he didn't accomplish his main task. So that was a big mistake on his part. And there are ways that one as a parent can sort of educate your children on how to prevent future mistakes like this one. And I think it's sort of a a wasted opportunity to make it really into an an educational moment for him. Well, I I like that Pearl Pearl and Amethyst and then afterwards Garnet kind of chant cheeseburger backpack. And again, this goes to the whole... These are aliens that have become legal guardians that don't know how to raise a human child. So expecting them to know that whole like setting limits and teaching like rational thinking, things like that. Those aren't the things that they're going to teach him. And yeah. and we see that theme of childish thinking throughout a lot of season one. Um, sorry, guys, if you didn't watch season one, spoilers. But... <laughs> Uh, we, we find out later he's 11 or 12 and he doesn't present as where he should developmentally. So when we talk about social norms, when we talk about um, developmental norms, he's not 
where he should be in some aspects. In some aspects, yes, he is. Yeah. So in, in a lot of ways, the way he acts is more childlike than preteen sort of 12-year-old behavior. And so in, in terms of how they should have educated, right? Like we don't expect the 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 crystal gems to be good parents because they don't know what sort of parenting is all about. Yes. Right. But in terms of us, what we would recommend. So if Stephen was a young child, perhaps around seven to nine years old, it's very important that you praise the process over the performance, right? So in this case, it's very important for if you want to see like good behavior, like all that creative thinking, you want to sort of praise how creative his thoughts were and how he preferred, how he prepared uh, beforehand before going into the mission, right? So you would say things like, wow, I can't believe you thought of bringing a raft that that's definitely good thinking, mm -hmm. right? Instead of sort of praising performance as in, oh, you succeeded or you failed, because that doesn't really reinforce good behaviors. It's just telling you that the only thing that matters is the result and not sort of actually working towards a good result. Uh, but considering he's pretty much edging into the teen years, it's very important that they set rules and limits and that they stress that to everything he does, there is a consequence. And here it's the fact that he didn't think enough to, he, he forgot completely about what his main goal was, which was to bring the statue because he was so excited over bringing his backpack and Mr. Queasy. So yeah, that's, that's definitely something interesting. Anybody have anything more Actually, no, I think we can actually start going because a lot of this feeds into our next one when we're talking about how the the gems relate to, to, to Steven. So we get to see in Together Breakfast. So this is episode, what, five? Or is it four? Four. four. So four. we get to see. Four. Sorry, you guys have to keep me on top of these things. So, um, <laughs> so in Together Breakfast, we really get to see the what Steven is willing to do to gain access to gain um, a connection with the crystal gems. So when we talk about this, we talk about theories of attachment. So we're talking about um, John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. So this is a very technical, this is the very technical side of it. So in theories of attachment, being that he's 11, 12 years old, he should not be at this, at the level where he is still looking for approval of his um, parental figures. He should not, it's not something where he's looking for that connection. Um, at that age, he's supposed to be reaching more towards his peer group. And we don't see that in this episode. So this episode, he's very much, I'm going to make together breakfast. And together breakfast is a, a huge thing. In family therapy, we always try to say, um, one ritual as a, as a family a day, which is usually eating dinner together because we do know in the morning the schedules can run a little differently. But eating dinner together is usually a great uh, ritual to promote attachment and to ensure attachment within a family. One, here is a situation where Stephen is attempting to gain that attachment where he should be sort of going, okay, I'm going to go hang out with my friends instead. But the other thing, this is a situation where we also see, again, he's not really part of the Crystal Gems. 
he is in this offshoot of the the temple. So the temple is behind these doors that open with the crystal gems, gems, and he is in an sort of like an alcove. They've created this house in front of the temple, and he resides in that house, uh, part of, but not actually a part of the crystal gems, which we see when he tries to take together breakfast into the temple to get everybody to eat. And he doesn't have access to it. So he like sticks his stomach on the door and he waits until finally Amethyst goes through and he can get his foot in and it reopens and he goes in. Did I speak enough? Somebody want to share something? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, I think it's very interesting how the gems are already at a point where once once they're done with their day, they just want to spend time alone in their rooms, right? And then this isn't where, where Stephen is at right now. He really craves that connection. And the truth is, the Crystal Gems are probably gone most of the day doing their missions. And since he doesn't have that attachment to peer groups developed, what is he doing at at the Crystal Gem Temple alone throughout the whole day? Right. So he's he's planning. He, he's sort of plotting uh, ways to get the, the crystal gems more together mm-hmm. as a family. Right. And I, I, I thought that's pretty interesting um, in terms of what the cr- crystal gems sort of expect from this whole relationship between them and Steven. My whole thing. Yeah. Basically, like you guys are kind of hitting right on the head with with the guy that breakfast my whole the whole thing that i saw was basically that he's just seeking that closer relationship with the gems um because he wants to show them that he's more than someone that they just have to babysit that he's actually a part of them and part of the team and he feels like by having breakfast together they can solidify this bond and that way it'll um be acknowledgement to him that i'm a part of this team now and so whatever we do, we're going to do this together as a team, as opposed to we're going to do this, you stay home and just let us take care of the dangerous stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, with the whole episode, you know, like in the beginning, you see that Steven's just like, you know, I'm going to make breakfast and he makes all these waffles. And then he tries to get a, the attention of the gems and they don't answer. So he thinks they're gone. And so to kill the time, he keeps adding on to the together breakfast and it isn't until I believe it's Amethyst that comes through first and he shows him, shows her the, uh, the together breakfast and then she doesn't really quite seem interested in it or whatever. And then Amethyst notices Pearl coming out of her room with a sword. And so like, they're all preoccupied with their own stuff that, you know, Pearl wants our sword back Amethyst now has to re uh, messy up her room, and then Garnet comes back and she has this weird scroll that now she has to burn, which Stephen tries to take a picture of, and then she promptly just takes the phone and says, "I have, I to, have burn to burn it too." This too. <laughs> yeah, and then she and then he's like, "My apps." <laughs> he was so concerned about his I would apps. So do the same thing, honestly, especially like with some of my games, because okay, listen, if you if if for any reason. A lot of uh, they changed a lot of it now with the iPhone, but sometimes if you start a game on one phone and something happens and you have to get a new phone, you have to start all over again. And when you get up to like level two hundred and something, 
dude, you got to do all that work all over again? No. So I can totally feel his pain on that one. Yes, it hurts. It hurts to my soul. I'm going to cry on this one. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have taken a picture of an evil scroll. You know? <laughs> Maybe there's a lesson to be learned here. Don't take pictures of evil scrolls that will possess your breakfast food. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so um, I also found very interesting sort of amethyst relationship to, to Stephen. While Garnet and uh, Pearl, they're sort of brushing Stephen off. Uh, when Stephen comes into uh, Amethyst's room and he shows her the 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 together breakfast, she just goes crazy and and is sort of uh, you know I want to eat it and then Stephen is sort of like running away from her and it's very very big sister behavior or, or a sort of sibling behavior. The, their relationship is very sibling um, relationship. Um, and we get to see that more, I think, is it next episode? I believe so. Next one's forever. Oh, no, no. So it's the following one. So yes. Okay. So um, keep going. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. And I'll segue right into forever. Because, yeah, that was pretty much it. Like, you, you definitely see that relation, that sibling relationship between Amethyst and Stephen. Right. Well, wait, before we go over to Fry, but we do have to talk about the fact that it, it does take them forever. It takes the breakfast food getting possessed to finally see the need for that attachment for Stephen. So, it, you know, just and yes. and this is one of those things, again, they're not one. They don't eat. The only one who does is Amethyst, right? She'll eat everything. So they don't eat. Yeah. And that also shows how much Steven doesn't know about them either. Yeah. But sadly, this is something we don't find out until a later episode that they don't eat because it's never mentioned these first few episodes. Yeah. And it's even, it's, you really don't notice, like, I mean, when you notice it in later episodes, when they explain that, I mean, it's definitely not prevalent here because even at the end of this episode, they're just like, let's order a pizza and everyone's saying, Oh yeah, Yeah. yeah, let's, let's eat a pizza instead of having this, waffle concoction so yeah so it's it's a little bit weird but it also shows again that steven doesn't doesn't know who these people are really and they don't know that much about him yeah because i mean if i mean honestly if he's his main interaction is with amethyst his amethyst is like a big sister so these are those situations where we have the older sibling sort of raising the younger sibling for parents who work all day or the or that older sibling who becomes the co-parent with um, the adult parents, so they feel they have that level to discipline, redirect, um, consequence their younger sibling. Um, they teach their younger sibling like they should, and I hate should I hate shitting anything, but whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in, in this situation, we get to see that di- dynamic where Amethyst is the main person always that Steven kind of interacts with. So if all of his knowledge of the crystal gems is from Amethyst, I can understand why he would be so confused. Yeah. Margie wanted to say something. Yeah. I wanted to say just to point out another, another relationship thing that kind of gets started here and actually does, well, you know, this will help segue even more into Frybo is Pearl. Um, You really get that idea of a, um, 
like a motherly relation, like an overprotective mom relationship with, um, with between her and Steven, especially because, you know, like she tells him to be careful when he tries to enter in her room saying that, Hey, and then when he does enter the room and he notices her or she notices him, sorry. Um, she even says like, what are you doing in here? It's dangerous in here. You shouldn't be here. And then when he falls down the waterfall and then when he, you know, he's sitting on the heart of the temple, they're like, be really careful, you know, don't do anything rational, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and so you really kind of see that, that kind of starting thing where she's just like, you can tell she's very overprotective. I mean, you, I mean, you even saw it with, um, you know, cheeseburger backpack and then it continues on to this. And then, you know, segueing now into Frybo, you, you really see that mother, mother son relationship between the two, because, you know, she's going on, uh, asking him if he's seen this, um, this shard of a, I'm assuming a broken or shattered gem that when it comes into contact with, uh, you know, articles of clothing or something of the sort, it can take possession of those articles and it can kind of do whatever, but it can also follow orders, um, to a very literal, uh, extent. And so, um, Wait, 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 wait. I just realized something. All this yes. time, and I just realized it, Pearl is very bird-like. She's she's, she's yeah. the mother hen. Yes, she's bird mom. Mm-hmm. Ooh, revelations, revelations have been made here today. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I just, it just, like, um, it just clicked. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you clicked yes, the reason yes, why everyone calls her bird She is the mother mom. hen. Okay, okay, okay. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> You know, when she's asking him about the shard and he's busy looking for his pants, uh, she's going off explaining all about these shards, giving a completely, like, this complete backstory and total lore of just this this shattered little shards of gems. And Steven, meanwhile, is totally, his mind is totally elsewhere. He's sitting there thinking about where he could have <laughs> left his pants. And then he realizes that Pearl is explaining something important. And he's like, Oh great! I haven't been listening. I can't listen now, otherwise I'll be completely lost. So I have no idea what she's saying. And then he comes to find the 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 missing shard because it was actually in his. It somehow got into his pants, and he has this little battle with his pants, and you know is able to put them on. And he tries to do the responsible thing by you know taking it and bringing it over to Pearl. But then along the way, he comes across um, he comes across Petey, and I feel like you two probably have a lot to say about Petey. So I'll let you guys take it from here. Okay, before anybody says anything, am I allowed to say what I've been arguing about for the past like four days regarding this episode? Speak your mind. Okay, Beach City. What the fuck? I'm sorry for the language, but where the why are these children not in school? One, two, child labor laws. Now, even if Beach City is a city that's unlike any other city in the world, federal law mandates children go to school. Petey doesn't go to school. Steven's not even enrolled in school. Petey's working full time as the creepiest thing in the world. Freibo, Freibo, I can't say Freibo, and and I'm just I I just I can't I don't understand. Why is Petey working and not going to school? Is this the summer? Is it always the summer? Okay, that was my rant. Sorry, go ahead. 
Maybe it's always summer in beach in beach city. <laughs> <laughs> in beach city. You really got to be careful with it that alliteration matter. there. <laughs> we we had uh, we already have the ex- explicit uh, threshold. Uh, we we already breached that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So running on what you just said about Frivo, it's pretty sad when he says, you know, they they put the the crystal on the Frivo suit, right? And he tells them pretty much all, like, just go make people eat fries and Frivo runs, runs off and Petey is just like ecstatic. And he says, let's go be kids. And I don't know, that's such a sad four words for him to say at this point. Right. Cause you, you're noticing that he's, he doesn't get to live as a kid. He, he has like this premature adulthood that he has to deal with because he's working. He's not going to school and I'm also wondering if he has a relationship with peers in Beach City. And and again, so his. I don't know. So if we go to back to some human development stuff, when children reach a certain age, they get their developmental skills from interacting with children their own age. And where do they interact with children their own age? School. This is why children go to preschool, nursery school, things like this, so that they learn how to participate in regular society. They learn how to interact with children their age, how to, um, this is where they also start learning problem solving skills, um, because this is where they find out that not everybody wants you to be the boss and you can't always win tag and hide and go seek. So they learn this from having friends who always win tag and win hide and go seek because they're also children in homes where parents don't have enough, you know, don't have the time to really play with them. So now if Steven's not going to school and Petey's not going to school, where do they learn their social interaction? The rest of the beach city inhabitants. But most of the beach city inhabitants, um, we've met Lars and Sally. Sadie. 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 Uh, we've met Lars and Sadie, who are older teenagers, so maybe they can work an opening shift uh, for the donut shop, or maybe they're in their, uh, they've already graduated from high school, so they can work full-time because they, they're they not in college. Um, we've met, who else have we met, really? The mailman, but he's an adult. Uh We've met Petey's dad, but he's an adult. Mm-hmm. We've met Greg, but he's an adult. So without intro- without the introduction of Petey, we never really see a child. And we're not going by the opening credits because we do know that Connie's in there, but we are going from these are the characters that have been introduced in these first several uh, episodes that we've just seen. What about Ronaldo? Oh, that's right. We are introduced to Ronaldo in this one, right? Yep. Um, and Ren- we haven't seen him yet, right? Yeah, yeah. He does. I don't think he has anything to like really say right away. Um, but I know that he does make an appearance. He does talk about his his blog or his podcast. I think it's a blog, right? He has a blog. Isn't that in Cat Fingers when he's taking the picture of the cat? Yes, but I think I think he just makes an appearance. Um, 
in the in the background, oh, okay. but I don't think he says anything until the next episode. So I mean, I guess he's not. I mean, he's introduced, but I, he, I mean, he doesn't really have any speaking lines until then. At least to my, if I can, if I'm remembering the the episode correctly. So for all we know, Frybo's best friends are the seagulls. <laughs> that that oh no, Petey's, and I'm calling <laughs> Petey Frybo just like his dad. Um, <laughs> You're gonna hurt his feelings. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Petey. Um, for for a long time, I I actually called him Frybo. Um, so what happens afterwards? Right? They they go to this mechanical seahorse and jellyfish, and they're in the ride. And you see how Petey's he he starts out with a smile, and like it slowly, gradually turns into a frown, and he has like this very interesting existential crisis and i have oh can i be pd yeah sure you be pd and mark you're steven go oh uh i need a i don't have the dialogue pulled up <gasps> okay horrible Fine. i'll be steven Failed. the seahorse used to make me so happy now it's just giving me whiplash i feel there's just no point to it you know what i mean i just feel tingly You'll understand when you have a job. I do have a job. I protect humanity from magic and monsters and stuff. I mean a real job that you get paid for. I'm paid in the smiles across the town's faces. I don't see anyone smiling. You pick up a job to buy a home or raise kids or to impress your dad. You work away your life. And what does it get you? Smiles on faces? No, you get cash. Cash that you can't buy back what, what the job takes. Not if you rode every seahorse in the world. <sighs> so yeah, that's 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 pretty deep. Um, and so there's a lot to, to sort of dissect here. There's a lot in terms of like what what we call logotherapy, which is sort of therapy that's that's based on finding meaning in life. It was it was started by this. Uh, I think it's a psychiatrist or or a psychologist. I would say psychiatrist Victor Frankl. He's Jewish and he was there during the the Holocaust. And it's it's this book that he has called uh, the Call to Meaning. Is it? And it's 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 about how it, even in the worst situations in life, if we have. So yes, he was a neurologist and a psychiatrist, by the way. Yeah, neurologist and psychiatrist. I knew it. So it's about even in the worst situations, we can get through it if we have meaning, right? If there's meaning behind what we're doing. So you can tolerate any what if you know why you're doing it. It's pretty much what he 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 stands for. And here we have he he does like working, but what is it that gives meaning to his life? Is it his approval of his dad, right? Which is what it sort of suggests, this sort of conversation. And he it seems like he's not getting that, right? And we see him sad. And what he's what when he says that that he doesn't get enjoyment from being in the, in the seahorse anymore. That's what we call in the field anhedonia, which is the inability to feel uh, pleasure in the activities you used to take pleasure from. 
And that's actually one of the main symptoms of depression. Now, this is the only symptom that we see in him, so we can't actually diagnose him with depression. But what we can say is that he has burnout, right? Yes, definitely. Term burnout is a term that that refers to sort of a pattern of exhaustion, cynicism, and ineffectiveness when it comes mm-hmm. to doing your job or doing something that you used to love. And it happens, right? It happens to all of us who work in certain fields, who feel like we're overworked. And even if we're not overworked, sometimes we sort of... Um, we become so involved with our jobs that we lose sense of ourselves. And this is what we're seeing in PB, right? If we don't treat him as a child that is being, you know, taken away from his education and his social expectations by his age, he's definitely a worker that is burnt out of his work. And in this situations, it would be very important for him to try to take a break from his job every once in a while and sort of understand who he is outside of his job. And yeah, that, that, that's a very interesting point to sort of understand from Petey's sort of uh, existential crisis in this one point. Um, I remember hearing, I don't remember, it may have been in another podcast. It may have been um, in a Ted talk that I was listening to. I remember somebody stating that uh, the opposite of play is is depression. So not work where everybody is like, oh, yeah, the opposite of play is work. The opposite of play is depression. Why is that? Because play is where we get the ability to learn new social skills. It's the, it's the place where we are able to regener- uh, re-energize ourselves. Um we are able to problem solve depending on our type of play. We are able to think of new solutions, which is problem solving. Oh my God, my brain is fried, which I'm going through burnout people. Sorry. <laughs> I think we all are. Yeah. At, at some point. Yes. <laughs> PD is being forced into this, this, and, and I hate to say forced, but he's being forced into a position that he didn't want. He did want to work. But he's being forced into a position he didn't want, which is Frybo. Um, and being that he didn't want the position as Frybo, he wanted to learn working in the, the Fry Shack with his family, but he did not want to be Frybo. He wanted to learn how to fry fries. He wanted to learn how to work with customers. That he thought would be um, invigorating. It'd be an actual way to um, get to be part of the family. And here he's stuck in a job he really doesn't want, which causes him to burn out more. And if, let's say, the fry shop opens at like 10 o'clock in the morning where you have to start everything and start cleaning and preparing everything, I don't know if they're making it with fresh potatoes or frozen fries or whatever, um, there's still a lot of prep work. And then they don't close down until like, say, 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night. Here's this boy who isn't going to school. going to just throw that back in there. And he really doesn't have a chance to play. He doesn't get have the chance to be a child. Um, so it goes back to cash. Cash is great. It gives you every opportunity in the world when you have money, but it doesn't give you back the stuff that you lose. So if you've lost uh, your 
in, in this one is that whole loss of innocence. That's where Petey's at. Um, he's had his childhood sort of forcefully taken from him. Yes, I'm going there, people. <laughs> uh, he's had the childhood forcefully taken from him. He can't get that back with any of the money that he earns now. He can't go back to being. Yeah, he can't get that with with cash or his father his father's um, approval. And part of that is just because of the fact that Mr. Fryman doesn't really pay attention to what his son wants or needs. Um, but that'll probably be a different episode. So, actually, I think yeah, I think Mark had something to say about sort of. Petey's relationship with his dad. Oh yes. Um, so um, a little a little personal story of mine. Um, so with um, when I was growing up, um, you know, my dad always had like these really high expectations of me in terms of you know always wanting me to exceed well uh, in school and in basically anything else that uh, I had I was participating in. Um, and that's just kind of how things were. And I'm sure that my story isn't really that much different than a lot of people's. But a lot of the times, if I saw or if I felt like I wasn't doing good on like a test or a quiz, I would start getting uh, kind of burned out of things. Like I'd be trying so, so hard to impress, you know, my dad, my mom, everybody to show them like, hey, you know, I am smart. I am a, a smart. I'm a brilliant kid here. Um and with that, like I would always be going out of my way to completing my homework before I before class was over, making sure that if I did have homework, it was done immediately. And I would just go through this stuff so like rapid fire. And I would always usually try to take on extra work that it just kind of like burnt me out. And it, it the burnout didn't really start hitting me until about like high school um, when I was about like a junior especially when I was a junior, but like probably towards the end of my sophomore year into my junior year is when like, I kind of just stopped caring. So um, I'm thinking, you know, like, Oh, you know, with Petey, he's working, he's doing all this extra stuff at the, at the shop and he's working extra hard just to um, impress his dad, to show his dad that he's a part of the Frybo business as well. Like he has a, a stake in it as well. So yeah, I, I think that pretty much sums up everything we had to say about Frybo. Anybody have anything else to add? No, I think we're we're good with Frybo because um, we're going to have so many different episodes where we get to talk about burnout anyway. So the next one is Cat Fingers, and what's what what happens in Cat Fingers? We're not talking about my fingers. We're talking about the episode Cat Fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, clever <laughs> clever uh so cat fingers we have the scary situation of steven learning to shapeshift for the first time so he's finally starting to learn how to truly manifest his powers um and again the older sister takes in the role of the teacher to teach him how she constantly shapeshifts and uh he he kind of gets it but he can only shapeshift one little finger into a cat. And then hilarity ensues. <laughs> As long with a lot of uh, body disfiguration. <laughs> really, it, it is, yes. Yeah. So Amethyst, she, she starts out, 
shape-shifting as a cat fully, right? And so Stephen's super interested in how he, he if he's able to shape-shift. And so when he asks Pearl, what's sort of her reaction? Oh, yeah, we can all do that. Yeah. She doesn't go further into it. <laughs> yeah, she just kind of says how, like, oh, we can if we want to, but it's not really used for the purpose that Amethyst uses it for. And with that, it's kind of just like, it's just left it at that. Oh, Amethyst is fun. Exactly. She's just, But she just says, like, oh, we can, every gem can, but we don't use it like Amethyst. And then that's it. That's all she says. Yeah, so here we have sort of Stephen asking about a very essential part of his body. Sort of, he's trying to understand what it is to be a gem, right? Um, and he's sort of asking her, and to me, that sort of reaction she had where it's like, oh, everybody can do it, and sort of leaving it there was a missed educational opportunity in in on Pearl's part, right? Yes. And the worst part is she leaves it to Amethyst and, you know, things get overwhelming for Steven. And then Pearl is automatically like, next time, don't listen to Amethyst, but you didn't do anything to help him either. Yeah, exactly. And so how, what, what is the lesson that Amethyst gives Steven in terms of how he can shapeshift? Start small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was sort of like start small, like picture what you're going to do and then shake it out. Right. And that, that's exactly what Steven does. And we get that one cat finger. And okay. What, what I do want to say is that's honestly a great way when, because when we do family therapy and we're talking about what kind of goals we want to accomplish with a family, we always tell the family to start small. Um, and to imagine, to envision what the steps, so we say what, it, we ask them what the major goal is, um, and they'll say something ridiculous or something that's not ridiculous, but will take a very long time. And then after we get that um, big kind of umbrella goal, we say, okay, well, what are the, so you've env- envisioned this uh, quote unquote perfect family or a perfect scenario. So what are the steps we take to make those manifest? So sort of the same thing. What are the, you know, things small? How do we get from, you know, so we make things measurable, um, which is a big thing in therapy. Everything has to be measurable. So what are the measurable steps you can take to get from Steven to Kat? Uh, So, I mean, when you think about it in a therapeutic since Amethyst gave him great, a uh, great sort of um, ro- uh, the great map to it, she can't tell him exactly how to do it, but she gave him the roadmap to it. Oh yeah, that's that's completely true. She she did say you know start small, and that's that's very important in any sort of like when 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 you put yourself to sort of achieve a goal. So that's good. Mm-hmm. And so he does start small and makes that one cat finger. And he goes around the town sort of showing it off, right? What's Greg's uh, sort of reaction to all this magic stuff? Uh, Greg's very, like, uh, hands off. Like, he doesn't really want to, like, do any. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it because he realizes that 
I don't know what any of this stuff is. This is not my area of expertise. And the gems even told me that if it's anything to do with them in terms of magic or any other gem-related issues, that it should be left to them and that he should just, you know, deal with the more human problems. So in this in this scenario, we're getting that whole, like, um, Stephen, of course, going back to his dad because his dad can help him solve. Well, actually, no, that's later on, isn't it? Um, but he goes to his dad to show him, and his dad is very much like the the line in the sand is mm-hmm. magic I don't touch. Um, but it, it it almost seemed to me, um, so I feel that it was very much uh, that episode where with the storage unit with the with the crystal cannon and everything. Mark made that great idea, the that great point of he compartmentalizes everything. So at the end of the episode, we see him pulling out everything. So now he's got to deal with it. And this is the first episode where we see him have to deal with it. And he can't. He hasn't worked through his trauma, his loss of, uh, of working with Steven and the gems regarding the yeah. loss of Rose Quartz. So, yeah, in, in this episode, we have sort of a few parental figures sort of relegating responsibility to another one. We have Greg saying he won't take part of the magic stuff. Uh, Pearl doesn't really engage in, in, in the teaching. So she relegates it to big sister. And that's where sort of Steven learns. And so he, he does that first kitten and he, he's not really sort of taking He's not thinking about the consequences of having one cat finger, right? Because this this has a sort of parallel with like children wanting to adopt pets in which you see something, you think it's cool, but you're not really thinking of how much responsibility you have to have over what you're doing. And so you begin to see that when he start make, he starts making more finger cats. Right, because he said the the first one was lonely, right? And it, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. And then you know he gets uh, it gets out of control to the point he has uh, the sort of fulminant cat cancer that is to- sort of taking over his body, and uh, it's a very I don't know. It's my opinion that this is a very dangerous situation for Stephen. Well, you you uh, think it as it's a dangerous situation because of your your knowledge of the medical field. So I think you should explain to uh, everybody else, or so all all of our listeners, why you feel this is so um, dangerous for Stephen. Yeah. So he he obviously he he's having trouble sort of controlling the size and where the cats go. Right. And it's taking up his old body and it's it sort of it looks a lot to a very like fast forward way in which cancer works right it's when certain cells in your body they grow to the point where it's no longer controlled and when that happens it begins to uh take up a lot of blood because it needs nutrients to grow that way or it begins to block your airway so you can't breathe uh, it, 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 there's a lot of things that can happen when you can't control the growth in one tissue. And this is exactly what's happening with Steven. And it's a very sort of dangerous situation. And what I'm thinking is 
you know, the gems should have more control over this one aspect because they, maybe they're not, they, I, I'm thinking the gems probably don't breathe or something, but they're not thinking of that sort of consequence, that sort of, how that sort of situation might negatively affect Steven and possibly, you know, in a deadly way, right? And so in the end, everything's pretty much gets solved with water. He goes into the car wash and, and the the cats are gone and the gems come back. And what's sort of their reaction? Well, Pearl's like completely freaking out. Yeah, because this is the uh, she she sees yeah. him um, starting to change before they get on a boat to go to some other mission. Um and this is what, what I tend to call couch parenting. So this is a situation where Pearl goes, next time, listen to me, or next time, don't get your information from, from Amethyst. But Amethyst is actually taking an active role in the rearing and raising of and educating of Stephen, whereas Pearl is just hovering um, and being sort of... Uh, annoying i can't think of a better word for it really um she, yeah she's 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 being the type of mother who's just like oh don't do this but not explaining why you shouldn't do this she's she's saying yes we can all shape shift if, if we have to but she's not explaining why they shape shift how they shape shift how she shape shift um she's just like yeah we all do it um and so part of me wonders so one we go back to, I, I totally feel this is Pearl's version of, of couch parenting. And I call it couch parenting. I literally have families that when I come in and I'm looking at the family dynamics, the mom is yelling for the kid up the stairs from the couch that they need to participate in therapy, but they're not getting up to get the child. They're not showing the importance. They're not modeling the, the significance of therapy for the child. They're just screaming up the stairs. So the kid's not getting that whole like, Oh, mom finds this so important because she's coming up to get me, to get me. Um, you know, the kids come home, they go straight to their room. The mom is on the couch or the mom is in the kitchen and they don't know what the child is doing. This is how we find out like later on the kids are self-harming, self-medicating, whatever. Um, so Pearl is sort of displaying these sort of symptoms. She's doing the like, yeah, don't do that. But she's not saying why. She's not keeping an eye on Steven, but then becoming very, very paranoid that he did something so dangerous to harm himself. Um, but now then comes into the question. Yeah. So is this me being sort of biased or is this a whole situation of nature versus nurture? Um, a lot of things that the gems uh, know and are teaching Stephen are, they sort of make it seem that these are things that they know innately. Um, they know how to use their gem as soon as they come, as soon as they're um, for lack of better words, born. So when they come out of the earth or whenever, however they're manifested, um, they automatically know how to use their, their gem. They automatically sort of know how to fuse. They automatically know um, how to shape shift. So teaching it to a person who is, partly organic is kind of difficult for them because they're part you have to think they're thinking dude you should know this you're a gem but he's not not fully 
Um, so they're not taking the time to explain yeah. it because I feel that they believe that he should know how to do it because every gem innately knows how to do this. So nature versus nurture. How do you teach somebody to do something when innately they know how to do it? Um, babies, when they're born, they don't know a lot of things, but the first thing they do know is how to feed because they need to, they know how to survive. But what I will say is swallowing is a completely different subject. And some people actually have to learn how to swallow. They actually have special doctors for that. But in all honesty, feeding and eating is actually one of the first things that we know innately. So is taking that first breath, um, and breathing, is sort of an innate thing. There are some children, yes, who are born with that inability to breathe on, to know to breathe on their own, and they have to sort of be taught that. And there are some children who are born that they don't know how to swallow because it does take a bunch of different muscles to swallow, um, and they have to be taught that. But on the regular, the statistic, yeah. st- statistically, most kids innately will know this. Um, so if this is a situation where the gems are saying, okay, innately, we all know how to do this. So he should know how to do this. Okay. So we're, how do they teach somebody something you should know how to do innately? Lastly, Garnet interjects in this moment. And she says, uh, what they all learned is that we have to place more faith in Stephen. And that sort of sets a sort of dichotomy of parenting between what Pearl sort of poses and Garnet poses, right? Garnet uh, wants Stephen to have more freedom and autonomy and for him to be able to learn from his mistakes, while Pearl would prefer to hover and just take care of every part of the process. And those are definitely two styles of parenting. Personally, I'm with Pearl because cat cancer can kill you. Poor cat cancer. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. Cat cancer can can definitely like you'll just become a blob of cats and and you, you'll for, you'll lose Stephen. I don't know. Um, and so I don't know. I, I find that interesting in sort of teenagers. Per per example, you know that they're going to have some risky behaviors. Uh, sort of growing up and that they're going to make mistakes. And it's important that you give them that space. But it's also important that parents give them a rudimentary education first, right? And I, I didn't feel this happened in this episode. That if if they taught him how to shapeshift and then he he sort of made certain mistakes, that's that's sort of better. But... And I guess that's sort of what happened with Amethyst. But yeah, I don't know. That's that's my two cents. And I completely agree with you on that. Do we have anything else we want to say about all these? No, I think we uh I think we've covered a pretty good amount of it each episode. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening in. Uh you can contact me at Twitter at psychogonically which is p-s-y-c-h-o-g-o-n-i-c-a-l-l-y and i practice that <laughs> and uh you can always contact me on twitter 
Um, at uh, Quiris96, that's C-U-I-R-I-Z 96. And of course, you can reach me at KatMFT, uh, so K-A-T-M-F-T on Twitter. Um, you can also find me, of course, at my other podcast, Geek Family Therapy, so GFT, uh, GF Therapy on Twitter. Okay, so thanks for listening in, uh, Gems and Humans, and until next time, bye.